All right, we are going live here in a second. For some reason, it's taking a long time to load. Hey, this is because of this book. Just remember that <laughs> the length of time that this is taking is because of like it's Skynet, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're getting put on a list for sure. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. All of us are going to be monitored. It's going to be great. Okay, we are live. Hey, Alice. Thanks for joining us uh, for our 22nd Rhetoric Rabbit Hole Book Club. Uh, we are talking about Industrial Society and Its Future by the Freedom Club, also known as the Unabomber Manifesto uh, by the one and only Ted Kaczynski. Um, this is going to be a loaded episode. Um, this is shorter than a lot of the stuff we've read on book club, but like I've notated almost every single page in this because there's so much to talk, to talk about. Um, so, um, we're not here tonight to talk about Ted Kaczynski. We're talking specifically about the manifesto. However, I understand that it is absolutely impossible to separate the two things. So when I was thinking about doing this, I decided I think what we should do is we should give a brief rundown on TED to catch anyone up who's not familiar. Um, and then we can get into the manifesto after that. Um, so I'm still setting up things here a little bit, but I thought we could give kind of... Uh, a um, give kind of a brief sort of uh, introduction to Ted. So, um, does anyone want to take the lead on that while I'm setting this up? No? Okay. Um, so, yeah, so Ted Kaczynski uh, was a professor. He, he um, in grade school, he did really well, skipped a lot of grades. He was, um, he started at Berkeley in, at the age of 16. And then he was a professor in either his late teens or his early twenties. So um, he was ahead of everyone his age, but um, I think because of this, it kind of stunted him um, socially, like he's not around kids his age, um, which I think caused a lot of turmoil for him. Um, also at Berkeley, he, he was, uh, introduced to a professor that, uh, come to find out is, uh, related to MK Ultra program. Uh, so people have, Ted, okay, so it's not correct to say that Ted Kaczynski was part of the MK Ultra project, but the one of the guys who ran that uh, was doing an experiment on college age kids, uh, and Ted was part of that. Um, so basically, what this program was is they would have these students. Um, talk about the issues that they valued the most. And 
then they got defense lawyers to talk to these kids and basically shoot down all of their ideas. Um, so it was like a really cruel kind of like hazing almost. Um, but I think this actually emboldened Ted. I think he took the ideas that were already starting to culminate as a young adult. Um, and it, it didn't, basically the program they were trying to do is to see what it took to break someone of their beliefs. So um, clearly it didn't work with Ted. Uh, I think it probably had an adverse effect. I think he probably fucking resented it really bad. And um, his ideas got more radical from there. Um, going out of that, uh, Ted started, uh, uh, he, after he was, he was only a professor for a little while. And then he became kind of, he, he retired from that and became kind of a recluse. He built his own home and um, lived there for the remainder of his life, I believe. Um, he, was, he was secluded. He wasn't uh, big on society, uh, foreshadowing. Uh, and um, he became the most infamous serial bomber in American history, probably world history. Um, he started mailing bombs. I should I should also say I've watched like three documentaries on Ted in the last few weeks. So uh, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I watched last podcast on the left has a great series on him. Um, the YouTube channel Windagoon has a great episode, and so does uh, the YouTube channel Count Angela. So um, those are my sources. Maybe not the best ones, but uh, it is next. That Netflix uh, mini documentary was uh, really decent too. It had some stuff that wasn't one hundred percent truthful, but like it definitely was uh, worth a good watch. Okay, I enjoyed, I enjoyed Paul Bettany in that role. I thought he did a really great job. Um, and Sam Worthington is also yes. Yeah. And I really enjoyed how they showed the humanity of uh, Doctor Theodore Kaczynski because. Um, we see, like, if you Google image search Ted, Ted Kaczynski, it's always Ted Kaczynski, right? Like, like he's just some nobody loser. Um, and they always show him in his arrest photos or in his uh, inmate photos. And it's like, oh, yeah, to get that context of, oh, this was a real person, as Alex said, things that things happened to. He had his own traumas. Um, highly educated and was a doctor in math mathematics, had a PhD, so very highly intelligent person. Yeah, I like that. Very high. Output. I agree. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you can tell by his writing. Any, I mean, one hundred percent. I do think that it should be noted, like if we're gonna like like finish the part of the story, I think he also like he was one of two people that graduated that hazing type class and it had uh it speculated there i mean obviously there can't be 100 percent proof but the person that was operating the uh like coordinating the class was also being told what to do by the cia mm. so it was also a government training as well as like uh uh like a uh, school train or uh, school exercise as much as it was for scientific proof. And uh, I mean, like 
the people like killed themselves in this class. It was like their suicide rate was like through the roof. It wasn't, it, it, it had to be some like insane, like battle Royale class where you just like, I mean, you got to dread going to that shit. Yeah, absolutely. That that's a really traumatizing thing to do to, especially to a young person, but to, to, yeah. to anybody. Um, so yeah, Ted started mailing bombs out. Um, he had a course of doing this over a 17 year period. Uh, the only reason he got caught is because his uh, snitch rat brother <laughs> told told the, the feds that it was him. I think um, he would have been an aloof, like Zodiac killer type character if this never happened. Um, but before he was caught, um, Ted mailed this manifesto to the New York Times um, under the name Freedom Club. Um, and that's something we'll get into here in a minute. But Ted speaks in the plural throughout this entire book. Um, it's he the, obviously he, he wanted to throw the feds off his tail by making him think that it was a group of people doing this. Um, but that, yeah, so this was originally published in 95 by the New York Times, I believe. And it was uh, originally Industrial Society and Its Future by the Freedom Club. And um, I was watching one of these docuseries that was kind of talking about how um, the only reason they didn't do this to like, because uh, because Ted also said like he would stop bombing if they published this. And I was reading or I was watching this thing that was talking about how they didn't publish it because, you know, like negotiating with the terrorists, they published it because they thought, oh, if we publish this, someone's going to know who it is, which did actually get him caught. Um, but um, Ted spent the rest of his life in prison. He died uh, previously this year, I believe, either this year or last um, year. Yeah, it was, um, I think, it, yeah, it was. Yeah, it's really close. Yeah, it wasn't long ago. Um, so, yeah, he spent decades in prison after that. Um, well, without further ado, we'll go ahead and get started on industrial society and its future. So um, the first thing that surprised me uh, getting into this uh, was the... Um, talk about leftism like right out the bat like the first chapter first well first couple of chapters is um all about leftism and the the negative effects it's having on uh society which um i couldn't agree more with uh you know i i think he he definitely has a political bias here but um what he's saying i can't argue with um uh, to kind of give some examples of this, I have some parts highlighted here. Um, he, okay, so he, I, I made, I wrote a note that says weak people are dangerous. Um, that's that's a note I added in here because on this paragraph, um, he describes leftism with feelings of inferiority, uh, low self-esteem, feelings of powerlessness, depressive tendencies, defeatism, guilt, self-hatred, um, and he says, these are characteristics of modern leftism. Uh, keep in mind, this was like 95 when he wrote this. 
Um, I was I was born in 96. So this book came out before I was born. But it's so true today. And we'll get we'll get into more later how it's almost it's borderline prophetic, the stuff he wrote. Um, because he starts talking about AI later on. And the way I'm like, this dude is so far ahead of his time. Um, he saw it coming. And um he's definitely um He's charged in ways that uh, I wouldn't use the same words Ted uses necessarily. Um, he's very charged, but um, he talks about this phenomena that's happening with leftism where people are identifying with or, or they become defensive of groups that uh, do not that they're not a part of. Um, it's kind of a trope that, and this isn't, this is a trope. I don't actually mean this, but like, uh, like a, the trope of like, um, like white women taking offense at everything that doesn't apply to them, like other cultures. Um, like for example, there was a, uh, Black Lives Matter rally where they had the, to tell white people not to come because the majority of the people there were white women. <laughs> they, uh. So this, this is a phenomenon we're seeing today, all the way back to this point in time too, which if you think about it, Ted went to Berkeley. So like all of the things that are happening now, that's where they started. So he was saying this thing, I mean, it didn't start then, you know, this, this thing's been happening for a while, but he, he was seeing a precursor of what's coming. Um, so I mean, I personally thought that all of his stuff that he was talking about leftism in this, as soon as I started reading that, all that sounded like to me was standard Rush Limbaugh, excuse me, claptrap from the time. I remember Rush Limbaugh talking about this stuff. And I, I mean, frankly, I read this and I was like, where exactly is, I mean, this just sounds like the standard right-wing radio idea at the time of what, leftists were like i mean that was all that was all a trope that was going on and and promulgated by rush and many of the people of his ilk um and i gotta say i disagree with what he's saying there yeah yeah i uh, well i don't i don't disagree with ted but one gripe i do have is i wish he was less um less biased um, I wish he talked about conservatives and their problems a little more. Um, he's clearly got a strong leaning here. Um, I don't think what he's saying is incorrect. I think what he, like, for example, here, um, he talks about how um, leftist activists, activists um, do not actually care about helping Black people, for example. I think that's largely true. Um, this is all about virtue signaling. Obviously, there's exceptions to this. And also, something Ted talks about also is it's hard to identify what he's actually talking about when he says a leftist. Um, so I would have a hard time identifying what that is also. Um, I couldn't tell you exactly how to define that. But well, he doesn't really define most of the things that he says in here. <laughs> Just his definition is I pulled it right out of my ass. Yeah. I mean, he, the, he, throughout this entire thing he goes through everywhere and makes assertions that he just basically states are true and applies things to whole groups of people without having any kind of examples or any kind of backup to it other than i 
this is what I think. And so therefore it's true. And this applies to everyone across the board. I, I just found most of his assertions to be completely without substantiation. I found that to be true too. And it, it was a, a little bit disappointing. It, 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 like I was expecting some more references. He does maybe put a few, like a, a dozen in the whole book, but yeah, specifically I think it, and he even mentions what he means when he talks about a leftist uh, in one of the chapters there. And I, I, I think he's identifying what, it's a very cynical view of leftism. Now the, the, the tone gives it that, that meaning that um, Alex mentioned, like it's very politically leaning, definitely his views. Um, But but we see like we have this um, we have these words like that leftists don't care about black people. Like that's, that's such a sweeping broad absolutist total, you know, it's just, it's very very black and white, um, which never works. And I, I, I feel like, yeah, absolutely. It, it, it was disappointing, um, even though on the whole, I, you can kind of understand, especially in the later chapters, which I know we'll get to later, but he kind of contextualizes what the solution really needs to be aside from social justice. Um, so I thought, I thought that was interesting, but specifically in the early points of the book, it just sounds like he's griping. It just sounds like his personal views, and it sounds like he's really cynical. Yeah, I I agree with you guys that he's generalizing things that um, do not apply to everyone in that classification. Um, I found a paragraph here that kind of explains better what I'm trying to say about that. Um, This is page 81, chapter 218. He says, various thinkers have pointed out that leftism is a kind of religion. Leftism is not a religion in the strict sense because leftist doctrine does not postulate the existence of any supernatural being. But for the leftist, leftism plays a psychological role much like that which religion plays for some people. The leftist needs to believe in leftism. It plays a vital role in his psychological economy. His beliefs are not easily modified by logic or facts. He has deep conviction that leftism is morally right with a capital R and that he has not only a right, but a duty to impose leftist morality on everyone. However, many of the people we are referring to as leftists do not think of themselves as leftists and would not describe their system of beliefs as leftism. So um, when when he talks about how it's a religion, I I completely agree with that. Um, This is true of conservatives too, which again, I wish he had talked more about. Um, But again, you know, he went to Berkeley, so he's seeing... He's at like the epicenter of leftism. Um, So he was seeing that more than he was seeing other things going on. If I remember correctly, and I mean, stop me if I'm wrong, but like, and and this might just be a rumor if I remember, I I don't know if it has any sort of fluidity to it, but um, I want to say I remember that he um, wrote this over time. It wasn't like it was a he wrote it in 95 like this was a collective of thoughts. And if you read it like as 
the way it kind of like flows because I've actually reread this thing multiple times, and I like when I read it, I actually read it and I kind of go, "This kind of sounds like somebody starting off," and it's like at the beginning of it, he's in that class, that torture class where they're trying to break him, and because he's putting too much emphasis on the left the this, the that, and maybe that was what they were trying to break from him was his big thing that he wanted to change was the social world of breaking those boundaries. And you can like watch the process of him being broke down as the book progresses. And then you see like when it starts completely shining and you're like, what the fuck? He's right about the like industrial revolution is going to destroy human like human interaction jobs and whatnot where he's right is as he's getting older and he's actually like able to think and put what he's trying to say correctly instead of sounding like an arrogant asshole yeah yeah i think he does get a little more intelligent as the book progresses um the first few chapters are just him ranting about leftism um what i'm really trying to say is uh People treat government like it's a religion. Um, if my party, I, okay, for example, um, religion is stagnant mostly. It does evolve over time, but you have this book and you hold the ideals that this book has. What people do with government is I am politically aligned as this. I am a Democrat. I am a Republican. The problem with that is that is fluid. That changes over time. So if you say I am with this party and that party changes their views, a lot of these people will not break out of that and say, wait a minute, maybe I don't want to align myself with this anymore. Instead, they get swept up in it. And um, I think it is, he makes a good point when he's saying that leftists uh, impose their ideals on other people. It reminds me of Christianity where it's like, I'm going to go on a crusade and tell other people what is right and wrong. I'm going to tell them um, you can't uh, use these words. I'm going to tell people you can't um, have firearms. Um, and this is a conservative trait as well. Um, again, I'm not being, I'm not being uh, partisan on this, um, but I do think the things he's pointing out are true of politics as a whole. Um, whether it be leftism or conservatism. He is uh, pointing out an issue that people have where they treat government like it is a religion. Um, my party is my God. And um, I think yeah, I, I don't want to align myself with Ted too strongly here in what he's saying. That's not what I'm trying to say. But uh, he does make some good points here. Um, like, talking about how uh, over-socialization, um, how we need to basically, and this is where we start getting into automation and the technology part of things, where he gives an example of um, a neighbor who is stronger than the weak neighbor. And he's like, hey, can I have your land? And the weak neighbor says, no, you can't have my land. He's like, okay, well, what if I have half of your land? And the weak neighbor has no choice except to give him that land. 
and then their slow compromises over time. Um, and he compares that to technology versus freedom. Whereas um, we used to be able to walk anywhere you wanted, but now with the invention of cars, uh, you can't walk wherever you want um, because we have all this infrastructure. So it's every time this happens, it seems like a good thing. We're giving up this freedom for something better, for a technical achievement. Um, but it is still eroding the human capability, the individual freedom. Um, and that's, that is Ted's main harp in this book, is um, how technology is eroding freedom over time and how it's a gradual, subtle thing. I think that's an, a big part of what he's saying also. This doesn't happen all at once. This happens over a long period of time. So getting out of the leftism stuff, he starts talking about autonomy. Um, here's actually a paragraph, uh, paragraph 50. He says, the conservatives are fools. I said we were out of politics, but not yet. Uh, the conservatives are fools. They whine about the decay of traditional values, yet they enthusiastically support technology, technological progress and economic growth. You can't make rapid, drastic changes in technology and the economy of a society without causing rapid changes in all other aspects of society as well. And that such rapid changes inevitably break down traditional values. Um, so basically he's saying that they're, they're just being foolish. Um, I think he could, he could have gone in a lot harder here. Like again, Ted clearly has a political bias, but he's, he's basically saying that they're, they don't realize what they're doing when they advocate for big corporations because they're actually eroding the things that the traditional values they uphold. Um, so he does, he does uh, poke at them, but not nearly as, as hard as he pokes at leftism. Um, yeah, Mate, I, I had a couple of thoughts on that. <clears throat> One, um, you know, I, I will, I will agree that uh, probably when, when Kaczynski was at Berkeley and if it was the late 60s, which I believe that's when he was there, um, that's probably about as you know lefty an environment as you can get in the United States uh, at any point during the last century. So I could see him having a reaction against that if he was having a reaction against everything that he experienced there. Uh, I also uh, got very much from his writings, and I've seen other people talk about this, that you know, he has a strong sort of, if, if he was leaning one way um, politically, probably more towards the anarchist view, sort of the separatist, you know, I'm going to live my own way view, which in which case that would probably, if he was conceiving of leftism as some sort of, as collectivism, that's probably as diametrically opposed from anarchism as you can get. So maybe that's why he had, you know, such a bone to pick if if his uh, primary um, bent was was the opposite way. But I I don't know. I found a lot of what he was saying would to be uh, just very much caricature uh, uh, of. A whole, a whole different number of leftist ideas uh, pretty much sounded like he was right-wing radio that I've heard my whole life. I mean, yeah, it just, it just sounded to me like 
he was sitting in his shack listening to uh, right wing AM radio for twenty years. And anyway, that that's that was my reaction to that whole part of it. Uh, the the technology bit was kind of a different different uh, different thing to me. It, yeah. you know, it was kind of like he shifted gears into something that um, was different in flavor and, and different in um, different in scope. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like Nick pointed out, um, he uh, fuck. I forgot what I was gonna say. Uh, I, I, oh, oh. Uh, well, this isn't what I was gonna say. But um, you're right, Hyatt. I think he's he's conflating leftism with collectivism, and maybe. Maybe that's really what he meant, what he's talking about here. Maybe, maybe that, maybe again, that's not what he's talking about. Maybe he's, he knows what he's saying. But um, I agree with you that, yeah, if, if you're an anarchist, collectivism uh, is about as far from that as you can get. And that's, that's where I'm aligning with that, because I would consider myself an anarchist or at the very most, like, extremely small government libertarian um, at most. Um, but probably an anarchist. And um, I, I, I think it is a problem that we put so much stock in a government that clearly doesn't give a fuck about us. My only strong political opinion is that the government is evil and does nothing but cause us harm. Um, and they ruin everything that they've attempted. Uh, they've, they've made life worse for everybody. Um, and it's they're also completely unnecessary, um, whether it be law enforcement or um, a lot of these other institutions. That that that's that's my opinion on it. And I think he uh, that yeah, Ted probably is an anarchist, like you said, Hyatt. Yeah. Um, so and and as you pointed out, like collectivism would be about the farthest thing from his ideals. Um, I think the right does this too. They treat their right like okay. Something I noticed recently is um, like since since Obama, people on the right side have been very like anti-government, like fuck Obamacare, like fuck the government, and then Donald Trump kind of really put gas on the fire with this, like fuck the government, and then what's happening in Israel happened. And now all of a sudden, the right is like, yeah, pro-military, let's go get them. And it's like, wait a minute, guys. Weren't you like super anti-government a minute ago? And it just it just shifts. It just shifts. Because this is what the right was doing during uh, the Bush administration, too. They're like, yeah, let's go get the bad guys. And uh, it, so it's like, I, uh, I think every, anyone who is like pro-government is just getting played on both sides of this. Um, yeah, well, the government's going to shift when they see war because that's money in their pocket. Because, mm -hmm. like, war pays good for yeah. governments. It sucks for everyone else, but, like, whoever's winning is making money because they're exhuming resources from whatever they're at war with. Yeah. And it's here that I think, especially the early parts of the book, are somewhat immature. Um, again, yeah, like Hyatt mentioned it, 
Berkeley, um, this is where, you know, people were burning their draft cards. Yeah. <laughs> that, um, talk, speaking of war, Nick, like, yeah, that finally, for, for, for perhaps the first time in history, en masse, uh, the youth was refusing to go to war. M much of the youth were refusing to go to war, realizing. Um, so it seems strange that he goes so hard against what he calls leftists. Um, one, because in he was seeing that the, the, this seems to, because um, the military industrial complex is part of industrial society that he wants to see done away with. And certainly that was like, that was being exposed more than ever of who was making money on these wars and things like that, uh, Vietnam War. But also that he, going back to the leftist part again, um, he experienced the things that he said necessarily cause this leftism, as he termed it. He went through those same things and was, I feel like he had a sense of superiority because he was trying to um, separate himself from a nat pretty natural emotional reaction. So he, and then uh, of course goes in his shack in Montana and is a recluse. Um, he, he starts telling people or uh, saying that, you know, people are over socialized and that that's the cause of it when he was never very social is my understanding, even as a child. So, and of course, <laughs> on the whole, I, I view, I, I tend to view Ted Kaczynski as a, a poor soul who was very smart and just, you know, didn't have it all perfectly figured out. It certainly is not something that everybody should go by, but all of that together, he he's trying, you see him trying to make sense of this world. And he got so many things right, um, especially towards the end. When, when he talks about uh, <laughs> there's no way, what was he saying? There's no way to make use of the existing systems to try and transform the world. They just have to be completely done away with, completely. And he said, even if a dictator steps in, a deindustrialized dictator is still, in, still better than an industrialized so-called demo democratic republic. And he's so, right. Great. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, and see, that's where it also, like, in my head, it's like, it, and that's why I read it so many times. I mean, I read it, like, back to back because I was like, I, I agreed with y'all. I was like, it's almost like he's, like, attacking himself. It's almost like he's, like, contradicting everything he's saying, but it's it isn't, but it is. And then that's where I like started doing a little research. And I was like, I really think that he was like writing it in passages through time. And it's like, like y'all said, if, if that's the sixties, whenever he was in Berkeley, I mean, and you also have to think about the terminology, think about 60, the sixties, the left was anyone hippie. You know what I mean? Like anybody on that side, that was a left. So like now, like, Looking at it in our point of view, a left has a whole different definition as probably what it did in the 60s. And I'm not like validating that. I'm just like, like, 
every time I think about it, I mean, like, it's almost like you're reading a timeline of his life. And as he's like progressively figuring out what the fucking problem is, you know what I mean? And it's like, at first he thinks it's this, and then it's like, no, it's not really that. Let's, let's go a little bit further into it. And it's like, well, damn, is this like, cause I guess that's like, it's just weird. Cause when you read it, like what you're saying towards the end, it's like, break the system down. It's like, well, that's not kind of what you were talking about at the beginning. You were just saying that this can't happen here and this, and you were making all these like, and then at the end, you're like, you just got to break it down. And I'm like, well, shit. <laughs> okay. Uh, and in, in that sense, I, I think that, well, oh, and oh, one point that jumped out at me was when he talked about, um, Oh, I don't even remember what he called the movement. He was talking about social justice issues for black people and how basically um, those so that social justice issues are peripheral to the main point, which is that we are part of an industrialized society, which then causes all these social justice, you know, with, without um greed for industry would there really have been a slave trade as as we know it as the one it's really hard you know one could argue not um that was a a funny thing about to me the um that he made that point uh that the the primary struggle is essentially against tech technology or this industrialized society i mean he's maybe inadvertently quite you know following marx Karl marx at that point yeah class struggle is the is the is the primary struggle and that you know all of societal ills essentially flow from that I mean, I thought- yeah i think he was reading that and like emma goldman all the time like it had to be something like that because of his complete like wishy-washiness back and forth of just like contradictory you know it's funny to think about ted kaczynski reading Karl marx but i see what you're saying hyatt <laughs> yeah, some- i just thought that's when he's like oh he's left us then he's like bringing back the you know sort of echoing that whole the this notion that you know all racial struggles and all these other struggles are essentially or should be subordinate to class struggle and that if you solve the that issue then everything will essentially take care of itself i think it's been minutes since i've thought about some of that stuff but you know i'm curious on what y'all actually think of that because it's it in much the same way that um some religions will one religion will have all these views and one another religion will have all these views and yet they'll overlap or they'll meet up or they'll get something right they'll they'll lock in on one point like um so perhaps that's a takeaway from both um Karl Marx writings and then from anarchist ideals like do we uh, what would the solution be truly to get at the main issue and not worry about these social justice issues. Um, Because I found myself thinking in modern times, the Black Lives Matter movement 
um, against police violence, police oppression, disproportionate policing of black communities, so on and so forth. Um, ultimately, the uh, ultimately the that that exists. The Black Lives Matter movement exists because the police power structure exists as an extension of uh, the oligarchs and corporations who want their property and their mastery and their ownership of everything protected. So I, I can't argue with that point um, at the very least. And, and if I could, um, I'd, I'd have to say that some, some of that, the central point of that rings true for me, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I would have to agree with that as well. Yeah. A, a point you, you brought up earlier, Lance, is he talks about revolution, not reform. You can't you can't dial this back. It's all or nothing. Um this you you yeah, you're either destroying this system or you are allowing it to happen, basically. Um I think I think that's true. Um <laughs> When it when I I was thinking about like um, specifically when he mentions yeah not being able to dial technology back because some of technology um, I'm not sure if he's talking about it in the time of writing or if if technology were allowed to progress which it has been and so now it currently applies certainly that. To do away with some technology, it would mean people dying. It would mean decreased lifespans from the modern Western world expected life expectancy. No. Like, like, um, <laughs> how many medical devices have been created since the writing of this? And yeah, if if we did away with that, it would ultimately, I mean. Uh, Alex knows, like, I have some anarcho-primitivist ideals, <laughs> so a lot of this hits for me, <laughs> but um, I do think there really is something to the fact, uh, one of the central points is that because industrial society has uh, become industrialized to this point, now we have this expected life uh, life expectancy gr much greater than we naturally would be as primitive humans. And I, I think he didn't, I don't remember him quite saying this in, in there, but really wouldn't life be better if we just lived primitively with our greatly decreased life expectancy from now modern times, Western world, going back to primitive times wouldn't everything kind of sort itself out and like sure perhaps like i would have died because of medical issues right like maybe i got an infected tooth and died at you know <laughs> 23 years old or something um it's gruesome and the like the complete dismantling of technology and society and the internet um <laughs> that would be uh, to me he makes the he makes a strong case for that being what would be needed to reform society is just to take that big big hit and the loss of life 
Um, but yeah, it's an ethical conundrum too at that point. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have a lot to say about that, but I think Haya had something first. Yeah, and this, reading this, it, it brought to mind one thing, uh, one particular example, which is actually, uh, you know, I, not ironically, but it is is a, a great example in some ways of the point that he's making. So I don't know if y'all ever read about the Haber-Bosch process, but this is a process um chemical process developed in the early 1900s um, by a chemist, Fritz Haber, and then there was another guy, I can't remember his first name, last name, Bosch. But they basically figured out how to pull nitrogen out of the air and uh, create fertilizer. So this was a great concern in the early 1900s because people, the only places to get nitrogen compounds to make fertilizer or gunpowder or whatever at that time were basically, you know, animal dung or guano deposits and those were starting to get used up. Um, so they figured out how to do this and, <coughs> you know, the creation of that process basically supports half the life or half the human life on this planet. If you were to take away the industrial production of fertilizer you're killing not just like some a little bit of life expectancy you're talking about killing four billion people within the span of what ten five ten years maybe less than that i mean that's you know <laughs> yeah maybe your life is slightly more meaningful you know as a pre-industrial uh agrarian society but you know not if you're one of the four billion people who get but in, in the ultimate you know example of what he's talking about Fritz Haber was also you know produced this process but also went on in World War One to be the chemist to develop most of the chemical weapons that were used in World War One. so I mean talk about a stark example of you know the dual nature of technology <laughs> Yeah, the good side and the bad side of it. Like, you got something that can help so many lives and kill so many lives at the same time. Okay, okay, but so, all right, a little bit of Taoist philosophy here. Good and evil must be in balance. Is it really good to industrialize agriculture with all the chemical runoff? Hi, you mentioned the like this chemical nitrogen fertilizer that suddenly. Right. suddenly available like we the earth ecology had been <laughs> fine all by itself natural processes humans found a way to work with that agriculture okay great you know maybe some irrigation by cutting channels from the river to your feet farm fields you know whatever uh pipe it along with bamboo something like that but then when you come to like the chemical runoff and how that surplus of nitrogen runoff then goes into the streams and how that messes with it messes with nature that so you're just you're taking this thing that you think is so great oh it's natural you know nitrogen it um <laughs> yeah I, I mean is it really is it really a positive to to feed to to increase life expectancy 
to feed so many more people to explode the earth's populate i mean not explode but you know uh greatly increase the earth's population because of now the availability of calories and things like that um is it good would be the que the oracle question i would pose i think <laughs> see this is the best part about this book because it makes you think every side of this because you're like is it good is it bad and you really put forth all the efforts because you and then that, that's the best part is because it's making you question what is this is it really that good is it not because no matter what there's going to be a complete and out a complete opposite reaction for every positive and every negative thing. So, I mean, that's just the, it's existence. You're going to have an opposite reaction. So it's like with everything positive, there's something negative. And that's, and that's why this book will drive you nuts reading it so many times. Cause you're like, I don't even know what I believe anymore. Screw it. Yeah. It, uh, it, yeah. The answer Lance is yes and no. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know. It's like, yes. And then no. <laughs> I, I think I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't quite characterize the, the negative and positive as I, I feel like much like the political spectrum being manipulated and everybody moves toward far right for far left. I feel like we're, we're, we're doing these great things, but we're ultimately the negative consequences of industrialization is that we are killing our planet. Yeah. Uh, I found it interesting that he mentioned Gaianism or Ga Gaia worship. Yes. Um, and I've been reading uh, Oberon Zell's book, Gaia Genesis, and how hypothesizing the earth as a living being really works on all fronts. If you were to characterize the earth as a living entity, as a person, uh, it, it really would work in, and you want and like, what if you were doing these things to a body, a human body? What if, what if your body was a planet on which all these species lived just like earth and you were pulling out stuff, <laughs> bringing it to the surface, <laughs> bringing it air like a cloud of fossil fuels exhaust all around you, like you know, just it, just totally out of balance. And I think I would characterize industrialization not as a positive, which with negative consequences, but as a drastic imbalance that naturally has a a horrific counterbalance um i don't i don't know i don't know how to quite <laughs> reconcile that <to> what... <laughs> i know that's a, like i love it i love it <laughs> yeah because last going back to something you're saying before um you know it could now in the night early 1900s when they were first developing this there there were fears that there would be huge you know mass starvation uh, that would fall if they didn't um, create this, you know, fertilizer process, you know, would, had they not, would people have had fewer children along the way um, to sort of essentially react to the more limited resources yeah. on the planet? And also, you know, you could kind of bring all that forward saying that, 
you know, maybe that invention allowed, you know, avoided starvation and, you know, maybe mass famine or mass death at the time, perhaps, but did it kick the can down the road in a way in that by, you know, more people, more using of resources, you're going to have a societal collapse of mass starvation at some point anyway, when the environment collapses. Mm -hmm. I don't know that we, we don't really have a control group we can run this experiment on, but I don't know. It's a good point. Yeah, maybe this is all an experiment. This is uh, aliens. They're like, what if we, uh, what if we gave them fire? <laughs> hey look we made a car it kind of looks cool let's put it down there yeah um so, so what one of the things that this brings up now then is like all right um think of like wildlife populations um it's not a perfect analogy but like living here in hendersonville there are deer everywhere in suburbs, in new developments, in backyards, on main roads. They're everywhere. And so there, there's a population control aspect to the, the deer uh, population here. Is it not speciesist? Which I kind of never really cared about before, but as y'all were talking, I'm like, is it not speciesist for us to bring all this chemical fertilizer so that we can live longer and have more babies and more yeah. and more babies? I would say short answer, yes, absolutely. Their wildlife. Yeah, even other animals we've kind of treated as, well, well like livestock. It's like, do you exist for my consumption? Um, and the only reason I'm keeping you around is because you're fuel for me. Um, I would say absolutely is be specious of, uh, of people, right? Um, I don't exactly see a problem with that. Um, I'm, I'm pro-human over pro uh, pretty much any other animal, right? Um, like it's, it's a really fun thing to say that it's like, I like dogs more than people. It's like, yeah, everyone does. But also you would let a dog die before you let it. Most people die, I think. Uh, there, there's an innate value to people that um, inherently, and maybe that's because we're people. Maybe it's maybe it's just because I'm a specious. But uh, but, but what uh, would be the problem if if everybody's dogs started living to 150 years old? It the a population would explode. It would be so out of control. There'd be so many dogs around. You know, you know this poses a, like I get where you're going. Maybe this is what he was talking about about the complete reset of everything and how. Maybe we're overthinking it of the four billion that'll die. Maybe he's thinking of the fact of if there was no industrialization, there would be no species that would be able to be like overpopulated because somehow we would populate ourselves because the earth looking at it like a human being, like you're saying, the delicate balance is using the earth around you as nourishment. So the deer would be food, their hides would be clothing, stuff like that. Maybe that's what Ted was actually going with and actually saying is it's not just the industrial thing. It's the entire world 
needs that because everything will be depopulized. Like, because then we're all like, we're learning how to grow food ourselves or this or that, like getting back to that aspect where there isn't as much pollution. It all goes down. I, I don't know. Like I'm getting where you're coming from with the actual thinking of the earth as a person. And I'm thinking like when we go to the doctor, we get the meds, the meds go in and they fix it. And it's all working as a delicate balance. And you think you hear back in time of like the earth as a delicate balance of like the, I think of the Native Americans, how they didn't take anything more than what they can consume and they used everything. There was no waste. You know what I mean? They were they respected. There was a sense of respect for the earth mm. for nourishing them. Yeah. And to your point, they uh, Native Americans accepted death. They accepted the fight between uh, human and beast. Um, and like to at what like what Alex said, um, like, sure, I'm going to protect my kids before I care about the life of a cat. Like, absolutely. No, yeah. no. But. But is it ethical. To extend the life of humans and the population to what is now. And we're seeing it's a breaking point. It's a breaking point. When I don't I think, to say about that, Lance. I think um, ethics is contextual. So in the context of being a human being, it is ethical to put human beings first. Um, it is ethical if you're in a native tribe, it is ethical to put your tribe before other tribes because that is your tribe. Um, so is it ethical to kill someone for their food? No. But in the context of you being in this tribe, Yes. Okay, let's take the word, let's get ethic. What is the end result? Yeah. End yeah. result, yeah. If we keep going with industrialization. Uh, basically, because basically I'm at the point where in my mind, it's solar punk versus anarcho-primitivism. Like, and I get where you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is solar punk? Off the grid. He just left. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. There's nothing. <laughs> I'm going to show you. <laughs> well, we'll come back to, He's gone. <laughs> well, I'm sure he'll be back. We'll, we'll come back to solar punk here in a minute. Um, a lot of what we're talking about, he um, there's this whole thing about the power process that Ted is so obsessed with. Um, and I think this is where, this is at the meat of the conversation we're having. Um He's, he's saying it is worth it for 4 billion people to die because um, then people will have more meaning in their life. Uh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't necessarily agree, uh, but uh, that's kind of where he's arguing from is that uh, people are all depressed. And instead of fixing this as a society, we're just medicating people. We're distracting them and medicating them. We're not fixing it. We're just putting a Band-Aid on it. And... Um, uh, I think people would have more meaning in their lives if they had to hunt and gather. Uh, you would not be bored. You would never be bored. Um, that is true. So uh, Ted is saying that payoff is worth it. That's where he's arguing from, is that quality of life is worth the sacrifice over meaning, and that meaning is at an all-time low. I think this is a very personal thing for Ted. It's, it, I, so actually, here's a question for you guys. 
do you think Ted died a virgin? Because there's this one story about this girl that kissed him one time, but it didn't go anywhere from that. Um, and that's an account from his brother. But I don't, I, I don't, I think Ted died a virgin. And I think also it is a very personal thing for him that he is lacking meaning in his life. He doesn't know. He is love. feeling this, this, yeah, yes, love. He's lacking love also. Um, and I mean, partly due to himself, like he's pushing away his family. He's, he's isolating on purpose. But yes, he's lacking love and meaning. If, if, he, if he died a virgin, it, it, it was due to what you're, like, I agree with you. I would say it was definitely due to the fact that he chose that life. Now, no, I don't, I, I, for some reason, I just, I have a hard time thinking he died a virgin being in Berkeley in 69. I mean, <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, honestly, I mean, the truth is, I mean, between that time, plus the emotional turmoil he's going through with that class, I'm sure he's experimenting with all kinds of things. But did he ever have love or meaningful relationship? No. No, I, I think that was a virgin for him. I don't think he ever could give, like, he, that wasn't what he had to give. The, the other reason I think he might have been a virgin is because he's the second coming. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> How would be that, Ted? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I'll stop comparing the Unabomber to Jesus now. Um, well, why not? Why? Why? <laughs> why stop? But, the shirts uh, yeah. are making themselves. But this is why Ted is so pissed off at technology is the lack of purpose, um, also the lack of freedom. Um, so it is a trade off. Um, he's not wrong to say that we that our um, individual liberty is being corroded and our um, sense of purpose is corroded. I know my generation um, is severely lacking purpose. Um, a lot of a lot of people my age and dude, I can't imagine what the, the generation coming up now is going through. Um, it's all about instantaneous gratification, um, TikTok and vaping is what's consumed this generation and um that there is no purpose um it's kind of like uh i don't know it's all it's it, there is like this uh this servile mentality where um it's not cool to be educated um it's why do you care about things nerd uh just you know get on tiktok and be brain dead and um it's 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 my generation and it's the generation coming up um so this is i think progressively going to become more of a problem um and ted talks about ai too he was very forward thinking about this technology thing um how power is going to be more and more in the hands of an elite few and um we're, we're saying that today uh, all the wealth is in the hands of less than 1%, a fraction of a percent of people. Um, and we're given just enough to contribute to the system. 
we are given just enough to continue existing so that we can consume and uh, be part of this system. When we become obsolete, we are going to see 4 billion people die on their own because the system is not going to, it's not going to, the only reason they're providing for people but to the minuscule amount that they are is because they benefit the system. When everything is automated, everyone will be displaced. Uh, there's a Twilight Zone episode about this. I bet Ted watched that. Um, but like once, once, you know, the factory workers are gone, once the truck drivers are gone, once the artists have been replaced, we're seeing that right now. Um, it, there, there is not going to be any room for people. And it's going to be a hundred people on the planet and they're, uh, they're just going to have an army of robots to fulfill their needs. Um, hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully Ted, hopefully Ted is wrong. Hopefully, because I don't. Here, here's a question for you guys. I know it's possible the way he's outlined it here. Revolution is possible, but I do not think it will happen. Do you guys think it is probable or likely that this revolution will take place? I think we're seeing some of it a little bit. Um, at, toward the end of the book, I know he talks about how it would how the revolution will have to take place by people refusing to support the systems anymore and basically letting stuff break down and, and that it would be very ugly. And do you know, I, I kind of see some of that, like suddenly the American, the American workforce is suddenly very weak right now when uh, American culture prided itself um the americanism you know it prided itself on industry of course uh being a hard worker being an obedient employee things like that uh we're seeing we're seeing you know employee disobedience uh people workers unionizing we're um we're we're seeing people insist that no, no, we do have some power. I, I don't know how much on the whole, if, if all of human society is catching wind and, and going to ride that train or get on that wagon, but <clears throat> Ted talks about it being kind of like what we're seeing, just the, the, the first beginnings of right now. So I, I find it curious. Um, it's almost like it, at some point he's recommending that like we're going to have to work together in not supporting these systems. And we are seeing more of that now. So that that's industry. Yeah. You make a good point, Lance, because he talks about how this is not a national thing either. It has to be a global movement um, because if America just decided, Hey, we're not doing this whole technology thing anymore. Uh, China didn't agree to that. I mean, China's not even agreeing to ethical labor, you know? So they're, they're beating us already. Like, they're, they're, they're winning that arms race. Like, um, something Neve says all the time is, uh, the one common is World War Four. World War Three already happened and China won. And that's, it, it, in the economics in part of it, yeah. Like, um, all the factories moved out of America. America is not producing anything. Um, 
So it's all of our money is going out infinitely. So, and we keep printing money and, um, it's not benefiting anyone here. Um, but also we're just, it's our fault because we all want an iPhone. We want them to be cheap too. We want them to be affordable. So, I mean, we're allowing this to happen. Um, well, it all, and it also, oh, I was going to say, it also, um, Ted mentions like, and like was mentioned before here, uh, about a car. Now, now it's like you don't have a right to walk anywhere in a lot of, at least around where I live. It's like, if you're walking, there's no, there might not be a sidewalk for you. You're kind of the problem <laughs> if oh, you're walking yeah. on a road. So it's, yeah, and for me, I, I personally need a motor vehicle to drive in almost an hour to work. Yeah. So like, it's our fault. Like it's not, it's no one person's fault, certainly, but it's us as a species fault. Yeah. 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 Um, Nick Hyatt, do you think uh, a technological revolution is going to happen? Or do you think this is an inevitable fate we're walking into? Well, I'm reading what he was saying about um, a technological revolution. I have to say that I, the visions I kept getting were of the, you know, the, the Great Leap Forward in China and then the, the Khmer Rouge, where if you're, you know, you're, I don't think you're going to have everyone spontaneously decide that they want to go back and live in 1100 and you know we can talk about whatever era he you know Kaczynski was wanting us to return to but to me that sounds very much like you're going to have some people trying to if this is were to happen you're going to have people trying to impose it which means you've got everyone rounded up you know houses searched full police state to get rid of all technology, people sent to collect, you know, to force farms and forced labor. Um, I mean, I, I, I say that to, to say that I, I, there are a lot of points that he's making about technology and control that I do very much agree with. Um, I just... The, the downside the downsides that he was talking about about you know some sort of feeling of a lack of self-determination is that necessarily worth killing half the world's population and living in a police state to bring it forcibly bring us back to a pre-industrial society I mean hmm. I don't know I mean you know we may we may not be faced with that we may be faced with no choice in that um, uh, you know, loss of technology if we have an environmental collapse. So, you know, we may be facing that anyway. But I, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is, I don't see any way, even if that were the way to go to deindustrialize to impose that without basically creating an entire global police state to enforce it. I didn't think about that. You know, yeah, I, I, I the only 
Oh, I'm sorry. So, sorry, I didn't want to say it. The idea of this is to increase, you know, human self-determination and, and satisfaction. I'm like, okay, so we're, so, so, so that you have all the choice and satisfaction in your life, we're going to impose a global totalitarian police state. <laughs> don't have any unapproved technology or technical manuals or the means to ever potentially recreate the industrial society that we're living in. I, I just, that doesn't square to me. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I don't think it's, it cannot happen on a, um, like the way Ted said it had to happen. Well, like it has to be like an impact and it has to be everyone. There's no, it's impossible. There's no way. If it's going to happen, it's going to be by people that are dedicated like Ted Kaczynski, it'll be small amount of people and they're going to go for a power infrastructure and they're going to try the way I would see it going down. And the kind of the way I would think Ted would have wanted it to go down is like kill the power. Find out like there's, there's some somewhere to hit that will knock it all out or at least a big chunk of it. And it's like, and then if you have multiple little people, little like groups of people hit, the multiple places at once is kind of done but well, it's just not possible and it's like if it was gonna be possible it would be by a smaller black block kind of thing I, but again it's like i feel that they're like that somebody's making the decision for a lot of people and not letting them voice their opinion at the same time like because they're just wanting to take it back to that and not hear any of the i mean prime example the love factor that we just talked about he never felt love so if he never felt love i mean dude we all like just talked about all the animals we love it's like we know what that is and it's like that is an attachment that like an emotional attachment that like is different from someone who has never had an emotional interaction in their life, they're willing to be a red button pusher and end it all. So I, I, I don't agree with the fact that like they were, that his, his remedy is just push the button, be done with it. Fuck all, fuck everyone. <laughs> it's like, well, screw you too, dude. That sucks. I didn't think, hi, you made a really good point earlier. I hadn't considered the fact that it would take a, totalitarian regime in order to implement this. So yeah. this change would require a police state. This change would require getting the power and then enforcing you're actually taking away people's technology in that regard to that extent is also infringing on their freedom. I didn't well, yeah, you're 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 basically becoming the things that you were trying to remedy against. Yeah. Or even even if there wasn't um a state a police state e uh, yeah. So cuz I was like all right how what would be the way around that? Um over the internet, you know, spreading this message getting whatever Facebook groups or whatever uh globally and in all the cities across the globe teaching people how to make EMP devices. 
Oh yeah. Setting it off all at once. Well, if we did that, like that would ruin the internet and that, that would immediately dissent. I say, we, excuse me. I don't, <laughs> I'm incriminating. Are we on this group? <laughs> Hell yeah. We're starting no, but this, like, the first rule of as, fight club as we don't talk about fight club. We as humans, <laughs> if, if this is what we as humans all decided we wanted or, that it probably wouldn't happen. So it would have to be some subset who was imposing their will on everybody else. And yeah, right. That is a conundrum. Yeah. The only other possibility is a extreme change in cognition uh, where people just unanimously decide this, which is not going to happen just as much as like, I mean, even with these EMTs, man, it might be too late at this point. It might be it too might late. Be right. It might be too late, like from the time that Ted wrote this to now, like it could be too far gone. <laughs> yeah. Like the internet, like for example, if all the first world countries decided to do this, uh North Korea is still gonna do their shit. Like that's <laughs> so they just become a superpower? Like mm. that's why Ted talks enough. about how this has to be a global thing. Because if one country does this, they're just going to get fucked. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. Yeah, they're going to get ran over. Even if this was the ethical thing to do, it might be too late. And what it would take in order to accomplish that would be um, not something I, I think I agree with. Um, I, I really didn't think about that, Hyatt, until you pointed it out. But that's you're it's it's so authoritarian to completely dismantle technology. Yeah. It reminds me of... Um, oh, sorry. I'm interrupting somebody. You got it. Okay. Uh, one of my favorite book series is the Dune series. And um, and it, I, I know Alex knew I was going to mention this somehow, but... <laughs> yeah. And um, my Bible. So, oh, let me uh, let me get mine over there. But um, the yeah, like so. For those who don't know, the first book in Dune uh, references that a what they called a Butlerian jihad had taken place thousands of years before. Nice, nice figurine. Moadib. Moadib. And um, so it would it would take a Muadib figure, and and so the Butlerian Jihad happened against AI thousands of years before the first book takes place, uh, in what in which basically they somehow en masse decided that AI was no good. They were never even though they were going to allow um, computer guidance. Get rid, huh? of all the, get rid of all the thinking machines. You're thinking another, machines. Another dude that was way fucking ahead of his time. Sorry, go ahead. Right. Frank Herbert, yeah, very much ahead of his time. Um, but but uh, that it's so, and then as a, you might remember, and you will, uh, in the first book, Paul is lamenting as he comes to this vision, uh, recognizing that in order to for him and his family, his house to survive, that he was going to have to take advantage of this seated um, Kwisatz Haderach uh, uh, religion on Arrakis 
that he was going to step in in the Messiah role and have and hold the jihad in his father's name, I think he says. So, yeah, and it works in this book series, but to... <laughs> and it becomes a whole other problem. And, and a little too well. Yeah, it works too well, and that's a whole other problem. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I never uh, made the correlation between uh, Paul Atreides and Theodore Kaczynski, but... Uh, They're there now. Yeah, Ted, Ted would be the god emperor if he had his way. <laughs> you think so? I, I think... Well, it, Paul didn't set up... Now we're talking about Dune instead of industrial society in its future. But but uh, <laughs> but but um, Paul didn't set out to be this dictator god. He, he didn't he didn't mean to. It just kind of happened. And uh, I mean, as Hyatt pointed out, like you can't get the things done that Ted wanted to get done without without becoming the government. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I really think Hyatt was right. Yeah, that yeah, that, that was a really good hot take on that. <laughs> well, and I mean the the thing about this is is that, you know, and I'm not I mean, this is uh, such complicated stuff and and, and I, I think we are really now reaching a point where a lot of this stuff is a huge threat. I mean, you know, AI, there's no telling how that's going to come out. I mean, you know, with, you know, internet, the internet and social media and networked cameras and TVs and everything. I mean, you know, all sort of the, the universal surveillance that, that people kind of posited or, you know, held out as a threat and things like 1984. I mean, you know, the, the Stasi of, you know, East Germany in the 1960s would have killed for the kind of surveillance tools that everybody's carrying around with them today. I mean, there are certain things that have been posited in, in science fiction over the last century that are now possible and more than even the writers could have imagined due to these things. So, you know, I'm not making light of those, you know, of those threats to, you know, people's lives and, and the meaning to their lives. I just, it, you know, <laughs> I guess reading this, my big impression was, uh, you know, reading about the technology stuff, I was like, yeah, like, I've, you know, with you there. And then we kind of get to the point that it's like, okay, so so that everyone has maximum freedom to live their lives exactly live the way they want we're going to destroy everything so everyone can you know live any way they want provided it's a subsistence farmer yeah oh okay so then the dilemma of um so like Right, you, we all have rights, um, unless we infringe upon up until the point where we infringe upon the rights of others. Right. So one could argue that the industrialization of society infringes on the life of every single human alive. Interesting point. So yeah, that is those rights would be infringing on others' rights in in a sense. And well, actually, if not more, because they've been using AI or not AI technology, but surveillance technology for years because of like um, 
uh, what was the dude, Wick, uh, WikiLeaks and the other guy. I mean, we all kind of had an idea it was going on, and then they blew it out of the water and pretty much told us that, yeah, they're watching you every second of every day. And it's like, well, how the hell long has that been going on? Yeah. Julian Assange is in prison now. And Chelsea. And Edward Snowden had to flee to Russia. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so that's got to be a great place to live right now. Okay. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, the, you're absolutely right, Nick. And these people have been punished for it. These yeah. people blew the whistle on what was going on. And now one's in prison and one cannot come back. Um, has not been pardoned, even though it's been 15 years. Everyone agrees for the most part. The only people that don't agree with what Snowden did is the government. Well, <laughs> like, yeah. Government workers. And, and bootlickers. And bootlickers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I um I this is a dangerous thing for me to be reading because I <laughs> fucking hate the government. I fucking hate them. And it's like hate is a strong word, but I mean it. <laughs> Like, I don't hate anybody except the fucking government. And, it, like, America's government is influencing shit that's going on all over the world. Um, America's involvement is the reason we have a Ukraine war. America's involvement is the reason, uh, well, that's a little tinfoil hat. But uh, uh, it's, the, it's the reason that people in Gaza are being massacred right now. Thank, thank you. Thank you. That's what I was going to say is um, it's well, and, and the vice versa too, Lance. Um, this, this is tinfoil hat shit, but Biden just left a bunch of fucking weapons in Afghanistan and those missiles are being used against Israel. So America's funding Israel and then also funding Hamas, because as Nick pointed out earlier, it makes a lot of fucking money. All you have to do is follow the money. And this it's what's going on in Ukraine is NATO pushed the boundaries, broke the contract several times. And then Russia is like, okay, you cannot take Ukraine. This Ukraine cannot become part of NATO. You've already broken this fucking contract that we made like a dozen times. You're not going to do this. And uh, instead, America's like, hey, like there were peace deals on the table before Russia invaded Ukraine. Uh, Zelensky and Putin were in conversation. He's like, okay, we're not going to invade you, but you cannot join NATO. And our government was like, no, go ahead, do it. We got your back. Because uh, these proxy wars that we're having, ever since Vietnam, it is not good uh, good uh, optics for us to go to war. So instead we have to create shit like 9-11, where we blow up our own fucking people. And then we have an excuse. We have this convenient cartoon-esque villain that's scratching his beard and saying, yes, death to the Americans. And it's Infidels. Like, <laughs> I was like, what? Was just... uh, yeah. I'm not saying those people don't exist. What I am saying is the CIA funds them. And, uh, sorry. Uh, now I'm on my rant shit. But that's uh, our that's government. what Ted does to people. Yes. <laughs> It, what our government is doing is not just affecting us. It's fucking up the whole world. And it's, uh, yeah, <laughs> fuck the government. Anyway, where we're at. But it all, it all goes oh, back boy. to industrialization. Yeah. It really does. Because, I mean, like I said earlier, I mean, and like you just said, if you follow the money trail, 
eventually you find that it's it's really only a handful of people that are controlling everything. Yeah, like, oh man, I'm, this is this is not good optics for me to be talking about this. But <laughs> Israel has but, the best border security in the fucking world. What they does have, Israel? They are always on edge that they're going to be invaded. They have the strongest security of any nation. And because of America's involvement, first of all. But um, yet somehow terrorists were able to get in and kill a bunch of civilians. Uh, again, all I'm saying is look at look at the money. Look at who's making money off of this. It's it's it, they're playing with people's lives. And this is this is another problem, and then we'll get off of the Israel-Palestine thing. Um this is not Israel versus Palestine. This is the Israeli government versus Hamas. And people on innocent people on both sides of this are the ones caught in the crossfire. People in Israel and people in Palestine do not want this. It is oppressive governments forcing this to happen. And America is at the epicenter of it. Anyway. <laughs> It's so fucking heated. Uh, <laughs> where, where, where were we at? This uh, little book. Uh, hmm. I'm looking for the part with AI where they talk, where he starts talking about uh, where technology is headed. The the future part of industrial society and its future. I thought I'd marked it, but <laughs> um... yeah, so the other thing, going back to the strategy, this chapter, I think is entitled strategies, like that also <clears throat> going back to how how it might be effectively done so as to like take like how how do you, how does the revolution take how do you get to take globally um and the the whole thing about like using the internet okay but then you i guess you still uh that would that really work cuz could you really guarantee that everybody was going to follow through with it and to the same to the same end or would, would yeah there, would it create a power vacuum that somebody would just <laughs> like yes. a like a north korea who's walled off by the internet uh, whose internet is walled off anyway so yeah you know that's a good point too like damn yeah Oh, well, I guess I'm not going to find this part about AI. Uh, I thought I'd highlight it, but... Um, Does he call it AI, or what? I, I think he's. I think he calls it artificial intelligence. Um, I wish I could find it. Um, we're just going to like cover... How... Sorry, go ahead, Nick. 
I was gonna say I just I opened the page. I'm like I have my book with me. I'm trying to go through it, and I forgot that he calls all the people who are pro technology uh, tech uh, technophiles. Yeah, and I like it's th randomly throughout the book, and it's just like when I open it up, I'm like that's so like elitist and so like demeaning, but it's so funny all the same because it's like, damn dude, you're still taking pokes at people, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's very bitter. That one Alex, paragraph one seventy five. Say what? Uh, the artificial intelligence. Oh, one seventy five. Oh, thank you, Hyatt. Sure. I just have it up on my laptop so I can. I I appreciate it. We're just uh we're just gonna skip over Ted's talk about eugenics. Uh, <laughs> unless anyone has something to say about that. Um. Because he starts, he starts saying some very eugenics kind of stuff about how technology is allowing people with, for example, diabetes to continue to propagate. So these things are affecting the human race as a whole, uh, like the gene pool. I'll, I'll comment on that. Okay. <laughs> I'll take that one. Yeah, go ahead, Lance. Um, I, I think he was arguing it not so much from a an imposing an artificial control mechanism of eliminating certain genetics. Uh, he instead he was talking he all, uh, so to, what lets me know that he's not talking about imposing um, regulation on genetics is he speaks disparagingly about how if technology allows us to identify and correct genetic defects, then it will, by, it will by nature, uh, loosely using that term by nature, uh, it will, the government would then step in and regulate it so that it was uh, safe, they would say. So then you have people's genetics being regulated by the government, ultimately, and who's to say that they wouldn't and naturally, of course, they would start to select. And I, I, so I think he's, his actual point is that it is industrialization which would allow for eugenics, which does allow for the possibility of eugenics through technology. Whereas what he wants to, wanted to see was just humanity returning to its natural state. Just like because I mean, as sapiens, we are here uh, from a long lineage of creatures before us. And we got here because we were, these genetics were the strongest up to this point. But do we artificially step in and say, no, you know what? Um, like the natural process of natural selection, the natural way, the natural order of all life on earth, we're going to step in and make it so that, you know, people with these, say, ma physical maladies or whatever, now continue on. And I mean, I can, uh, the strange thing is, like, I include myself in that, like, uh, having inherited certain inherited conditions, like, or like a, if I had an abscessed tooth in my early twenties, I'd be dead in a natural world. <laughs> so that wouldn't yeah. be great for me. 
This is another yeah. one of those things where he's he's identifying a problem, and you can't really argue that it's a problem. Like my parents both have bad eyesight, and I have bad eyesight as a result of that. I wouldn't be able to survive in a hunting gathering situation, um, or at least I would be at a severe disadvantage, right? Um, so I mean, I think about that if I were to have kids. I'm passing on genetic defects. Um, and that's that that is because society is so comfortable. Um, people with birth defects are allowed to propagate um, just because uh, quality of life and life expectancy is so high now that these these are problems that we're facing. Um, I just don't <laughs> it's not ethical to really do anything about it. Right. It. And like you pointed out, Lance, he's not proposing some eugenics program. He's just saying, if life was harder, these people are just going to die. Like, I think for me, like the main point of the whole—well, not the whole book, but like it's something that runs through and touches on in certain points. Um, he uses the term "the power process" and how industrialization has stripped modern humanity of that necessary psychological power process that a human should go through to come of age to claim one's personal power all, all those wonderful things that we would want for any human um now now people have surrogate activities right like we be, we play video games because we can't find actual personal fulfillment <laughs> we have you know we we um I mean, he, he goes way far with it. <laughs> and of course, the, really the implications for any of what Ted was talking about are just, I mean, comp yeah, extreme, yeah. of course. But yeah, that, that whole thing where <sighs> there's something very real about that. Like, I remember when I would go backwards camping years ago, um, I would hike in and like have to like have to make a fire at night in order to keep warm. And in order to do that, I would have to forage for uh, fallen firewood. And so that would take up my whole day, but I felt so good. My whole day was taken up with surviving, but I felt so balanced and centered. And we, I think we cannot deny that a centeredness, a, a certain kind of natural mental health that would exist by, by us just surviving that has been taken away from us in industrial society. And so as Ted and like also Ted correctly mentions that now we have to artificially modify our brain chemistry because of the way that industrial society is. Now we have to be on antidepressants. Yeah. So like industrialization rises and like misery like we talk about quality of life. <sighs> Is it like at a certain point it um, there's a there I'll, I'll definitely agree. There's a diminish. We can say that there's a diminishing return on industrialization. I think we passed that a long time ago. Um, like, and also curious, did Ted Kaczynski wear eyeglasses that would be also interesting to know did he have any health problems like 
<laughs> the only glasses I've seen him wear are the famous uh the there's the drawing. The, <laughs> Like sun, sunglasses. Hey Ted, isn't that technology on your face blocking out the sun's rays? You're using that was not their the press to get they this out to people. That was not their purpose. Their purpose was to keep his eyes from being seen. <laughs> oh, <that's true. laughs> but oh, again, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, to answer your earlier question, Lance, it doesn't look like he does call it artificial intelligence. Um, and he doesn't even talk about, um, and thanks again, Hyatt, for finding this. Um, he doesn't actually talk about intelligent machines. He just talks about how machines are going to be running things. So because we live in an age of AI, that's where my mind went. Um, is, I mean, because... <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he didn't see AI as a thing coming, but like AI is a great example of what he's talking about here. Uh, yeah, it's it's that AI is going to run shit. Um, it's even the things we thought that you know like are irreplaceable, like the artist, are being eroded. Now, I will say, AI art is never going to to make anything that humans haven't already. What it's doing is it's taking all of the art it can process and then making an imitation of it. Um, but it's able to spit it out so fast. Uh, like, <laughs> the uh, Neef made a new intro for this show uh, and it's AI. Um, and it, it looks fucking cool. And it's cooler than the one I made. Like, it's cooler, and that took me forever. Uh, but, you know, AI was able to make, we, we had like five versions of this to pick from. And we're like, yeah, that's badass. Let's use that. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, like even, even the things, even, even the things we thought were irreplaceable about people are starting to become, um, automated. Uh, it's, and, you know, I, I feel quite confident that these things will completely be replaced. Um, once we teach these things to really think like people do, then it's, we're completely obsolete. We're headed into a realm where people are just. Have you guys seen Idiocracy? Hell yeah, I have. We're we're so close to there now. Like, yeah, I, dude, I was at a I was at the gas station uh, today, and the clerk like grunted at me. Like, <laughs> didn't tell me how much I actually owed. They were like, Ugh. I was like, did you seriously just grunt at me? And they just like they literally walked away, and I was like. What the fuck just happened? <laughs> I thought I was on some TV show. I was like, what? What? Yeah, Ashley Kutcher's going to bust out of the wall. Yeah, I'm like... Oh, great, bro. Yeah, I mean... I, But yeah, seriously, I, yeah. We are so in idiocracy right now. Yeah. Yeah, we're kind of past idiocracy in some ways. Like, it's, it's actually worse than that in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. We can still grow plants. They don't it's need true. electrolyte shit. Extra big ass fries. <laughs> Slurge. <laughs> I love that. Speaking of, speaking of growing plants, um, when he mentions how we can't do anything unless it's like allowed by the government in the in these current industrial societies, like. Like that, 
a pedestrian crossing the road at a non-pedestrian not at a pedestrian crossing like the word for that is often jaywalking i think it's a derogatory term is my understanding yeah uh, i can't i don't remember uh exactly why i'm pretty sure i would misstate what the reason was but it's something to do with the word J as, as a slang term for a certain type of person. Oh, shit. I think, I, no I, think I think so. Um, but anyway, but like, fi- okay. I thought of like fishing. I've you, never heard that. Look it up. Um, but, but anyway, so like now walking across the street, like you live here where you have to go is there. You can't just walk there. You have to, go way out of your way to a, an allowed pedestrian crossing lest you get a ticket from a police officer or a traffic officer, right? Like you can't go fishing unless you have a fishing license. Like we are so far beyond what our brains um, ha- healthily are. We, we're yeah. not, we don't, we do not live in a society in the Western world or in industrial world for that matter, where our brains as they are currently evolved to function will be happy. We are oppressed under society because we like industrial advancements have just far past the, the, the natural gradation that happens with evolution. Like, we just suddenly just dropped that in, into history, like dropped electricity, dropped computers, dropped AI into human history. And now we're talking about transhumanism and things like that. And it's like, how, like my, my, my first inclination is to be like, no, like all of this is a mess. A fishing license, what? Mm. In order to feed myself, I have to pay the government a fee to go feed myself. Like how backwards and and messed up is this society? So Ted yeah. was right about that and those things definitely. I couldn't agree yeah. more. Like, <laughs> uh, that that I think what we really can do as a people, like to make a change, is become self sufficient because they hate that shit. You need to be dependent. You 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 don't you don't need to be growing your own food. You don't need to be able to do things. You need to be reliant on the system. So mm. it's like, if if we all start farming in our backyards, let's start a commune, guys. <laughs> let's first, start a, let's first start a, we'd need first we would need to have a backyard in which to grow food for ourselves, which so many of us do not, including myself. I live in apartments yeah. because having a patch of land to grow on is outside of my current means yeah Yeah. which is a situation that industrial society has created for me so and and i forgot if we start a commune thank you mr kaczynski (laughs) (laughs) i i did i did try to get the beard looking very (laughs) you know just for this yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) i i and also it slipped my mind we can't start a commune because then they'll just gas a bunch of us, including children. Uh, oh, yeah. The ATF oh, will just kill us. Uh, so, shit, we can't do that either. Well, uh, we just can't do that in Waco. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
and then that then that kind of circles back to what uh Ted was saying about it needing to be just a complete reset. Like for for people to just suddenly like start growing it in their backyards. Like like I remember watching this reel on social media where this married couple um was like we made it our goal to live as long as we could off of things that we grew in our backyard. And they made it like a month, two months, three months out of an entire year. That was the best they could do with their pretty big garden in their backyard. Yeah. Like we, we do not currently have the means. We're not, the, the system is not designed, as you said, for self-sufficiency. It is not like it is everything is structured to funnel us back into the system and to keep enriching the people who control the system. Yeah. So like, I, I really think there is forever a strong argument for, for completely changing that about society. Um, yeah. interest, to talk about another book that just briefly, um, Noam Chomsky's book uh, on anarchism is the, is the title Oh, that's and, an amazing book. Huh? That's an amazing book. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Uh, but Noam Chomsky actually makes a different point that, no, you need the structures to stay in place so that you have something, like... <laughs> to fall back on. To, to still, yeah, or, or to administrate. You, you, need, you need to have administrators to administrate the change versus what Ted Kaczynski was talking about was like, no, just like go back to the, let's blow us back to the Stone Age. Like, but didn't uh, didn't Noam Chomsky? His big point about that was uh, it was uh, the point of the book was dismantling, if I remember correctly. So, having the system that he was talking about was a dismantled set uh, uh, committee, more of people of peers that would help you, like. Like he wasn't referring to it as the government. He was saying, if I remember correctly, his books are like he uses words that I don't even know if anyone but him know them. And you got to like sit there with a damn dictionary next to it to read some of his books. I I thought I I thought well the reason I mentioned that is I specifically thought that he was saying like allow certain aspects of the government to remain in place. Yeah. So that you would have an way, a way to administrate and facilitate a change, which if the structure's in place, like who's, who's to say that you could get everybody on board to be both part of this, of that structure and for their minds to be changed so as to work in congruence with anarchist values. How do you get government employees to suddenly work in congruence with anarchist values? I, can yeah, you really, yeah. is there a de-escalation? I don't think so. It sounds like, yeah, I, Paris, well, sorry, go ahead, Nick, go ahead. I was about to say, probably not. So that just doesn't sound like it's a, like they've already been hypnotized by being there. It's like, you can't break them down. Yeah, I think um, that, that sounds like almost like a perfect contrast to what Ted is proposing. He's saying it's not a political revolution, it's it's an industrial revolution. Whereas Chomsky is saying it's not an industrial revolution, it's a political one. Ah, right. Um, if I'm understanding right. Um, yeah. 
quick quick segue i found the jaywalking thing uh apparently jaywalk a j is uh like like uh like a a stupid like a noob who is like poor so it's stupid poor people is a j and basically it was um something that people that owned cars would say it's like oh you're you're stupid and poor you don't own a car and you're too stupid to obey traffic laws. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's not a so it's derogatory against poor uh, all I mean, of us. Yeah, all <laughs> Jays. Yeah, fucking a. When I was little in Mississippi, I don't know if you have this expression, but talking about somebody being naked as a jaybird, just completely. Yeah, <laughs> and somehow conflated that with jaywalking to think that. Well, that was somebody who was walking around naked down the street. I was like, <laughs> yeah, that would cause a commotion. <laughs> yeah. That that would definitely turn some heads. I um I saved this uh for when we're like getting into the end of the conversation. But um my biggest gripe with Ted is he was ineffective. Um <laughs> he didn't what he did did not accomplish much. Um, if you're gonna, uh, you, you could have gone after different people. You could have done more damage to the system than he did. Um, that's my real biggest gripe with him is uh, the book, and that's that's why at the onset of the conversation I was talking about the separation between Ted Kaczynski and the Unabomber Manifesto. Because a lot of the stuff he says in this is hard to argue with. But when you look at what he did, it starts to discredit this. Because what he did is he hurt a lot of innocent people. Um, he, he severely maimed several people, innocent people. There was actually a nurse at Vanderbilt um, that it wasn't meant for her. But she was forever disfigured because she's the one that touched the package. Um, to me, that's unforgivable. Um, he, and he didn't go after the first, the right people to begin with. Like he's called the Unabomber. I didn't know this either. until I started researching it because he targeted universities and the other, the, the, a part of that is airlines because one of his bombs was on a carrier plane. Um, I, I didn't know this either, but apparently passenger planes used to carry mail. So he had a bomb on a passenger plane, which universities and airlines, UNA bomber. Um, so um, that's that's my biggest gripe with Ted is what he did was bad. And um, he could have done a lot. He could have he could have thought smarter about who to go after. Because um, there's certainly a lot of wicked people in the world that deserve justice. Um I'm not above that, but I don't think it was all the people that Ted was ever had. Um, the other thing I want to point out, sorry, anyone, someone's about to speak up. Well, I was just going to say, like, then the, the question rises, like, how would that have played out were he to send it to the the correct, most effective person to maim or blow up with his bombs? To me, that's uh, a good Yeah, sorry, go ahead. According to his, according to his ideology, of course, um, like who would that be to to send to? I know he sent it to like 
a, a senator, certainly, and a, several other government uh, yeah. offices. But right, yeah, it didn't it didn't stop the problem. But I also question: was that even his intent to was was his intent to start the revolution then, or was he merely making statements and getting his message published? So on that, I was getting into my next point actually. Um, after Ted was arrested, um, they found his journals. And I, I want to preface this by saying, for all I know, these could have been planted. Hmm. I mean, realistically, how do we, why do we trust the government, anything the government says that the feds say? So, but the story goes that they found his journals and among his journals, he said that what he did was purely out of spite and rage, and he didn't actually have intentions of uh, changing things for the better. He did it purely for revenge, um, which discredits all of this. It makes mm -hmm. this it makes this seem like a convenient uh, explanation for what he did. It makes this, it makes what he did justified. This is the reason I did it. This is it. Now, all of that being said, this is very well. <coughs> he put a lot of genuine thought into this. So to say that this was just a cover up for, it's a toss up, you know? Like, if his journals are correct, that says a lot about him. Like, if, if his journals weren't planted on him. It says that he was just angry and bitter at the world and he just wanted revenge. He wasn't trying to fix it. He was just mad at it and wanted to punch against it. Um, but that is in complete contradiction with what he wrote here, where he's saying, the reason I did what I did is to get this message out. It's because I'm trying to save the world. So I don't know what to make of that. Like I said, it could be a plan. It could have been that they just put this on him to discredit industrial society in its future. But um, that's how the story goes, at least, is that he, he wrote about these things as if he was just really bitter against the world and he just wanted to punish the world. So, well, we, yeah. oh, you go, you go. I was just going to say, well, we've definitely seen government institutions do that once they decide that somebody's guilty and bad they'll stop at nothing to they'll lie to make sure that that person gets put away and whatever and so i i would not put it past the government institution to lie uh to make to discredit ted kaczynski's ideology which it just so happens would goes directly against what they stand for so that's all i want to say i i don't to be honest with you, I don't think that they could have... Uh, well, I, I think that they could do anything they want. I don't think they had the means to do anything of planning anything at Ted Kaczynski's house because if you haven't seen pictures of it, there wasn't anything in it. So, like, it being there, like, it makes sense because he did... he. The few people he talked to, he was always writing in a book. So, I mean, he was writing something. So, like, 
if that was honestly his message, that, I mean, that does pose a hell of a point. But I think the world was too mesmerized by the fact that they just found somebody to even think about planning. I think that it wasn't a matter, like, I don't, I don't think they could have reacted that quick because I mean, it was, it, I mean, they were covering it so quickly. Cause I remember the whole situation when they fucking were like, we found them. And then there's like, you're like, what the hell's going on? You know, they're like on a manhunt to get like, they just found the Unabomber. Holy crap. But like back to your other question about like, so my first initial thing about Ted Kaczynski was like, I agreed with you. I was like, I didn't agree with the fact he hurt people. But then I started thinking, I'm like, well, who he hurt is irrelevant. He's hurting people in a for the for the sake of a belief. The Crusades and Christianity has been doing that for countless centuries. So my immediate hatred for the whole thing, the, my biggest issue with Ted is he immediately was being exactly what he was saying we shouldn't be because he was acting just like an organization of, like Hyatt said, being a totalitarian dictator by pretty much telling us what we need to do, what this is what needs to happen. And then that's where I started getting irritated with them because it's like, it's looping around that you're just contradicting yourself. Now he had a shit ton of great points throughout all of it. And he wasn't wrong on a lot of it. And he would, he poses great arguments. I mean, all four of us literally have had, we've been all over the spectrum of agreeing and disagreeing. And it's like, you can take it anywhere. I mean, you really can, but like my irritation with him was the whole, not that he killed people, but the fact that he was killing someone in a belief thinking that his was better. Mm. And it's like, well, then you're just being exactly the same system that you're trying to fight. Yeah. So what, so then Nick, how does uh all right pacifism then yeah like oh hi it's out hey uh before you hi, go hi. before you go hi any shows you want to plug uh no i'm good for tonight thank you okay. hey uh before you leave i just want to say i really appreciate everyone coming tonight um we're talking about some very contentious stuff um, and none of us line up perfectly, like with the same ideas about things. Uh, but we were able to have this conversation civilly, even even though we disagree, probably probably pretty strongly about certain things. We were able to have this conversation like peacefully without getting upset at each other. Um, so I want to thank everyone for um, like being gracious and. Um, and have it, being able to have difficult conversations uh, without being upset, because that's really rare and hard to do for a lot of people. So thank you all. Uh, thanks for being here, Hyatt. Appreciate you. Oh, yeah, it's been definitely interesting. A lot yeah. of kick around in this. Um, 
But yeah, y'all have a good night. Yeah. Right. yeah. Take it easy, man. Too. Uh, so pacifism. Oh, well, see, like, that's where, like, I agree with it. I think that there, I, I'm the kind of person, I think that there is a peaceful way out of a situation until there isn't. And that's where my pacifism stops. And there's a whole different animal in my head. But like, I do, I practice pacifism. I try not to, like, I, I try not to fight at all. I try not to argue. I try to go in an opposite direction of that. But I do try to debate. Because I think if we can talk amongst people, you can possibly that like that's where like true change is going to come from the world is discussing situations, giving people different ideas, and then them taking it back and maybe even rooting it into their fundamental lives that their family can use from that day forward could be just something that they haven't thought of. I mean, I know people have affected me that way. I mean, especially with the pacifism thing, but like, <laughs> hell yeah. But my, <laughs> I don't think the world could be pacifist because there's just not that many nice people in the world. Yeah, it's, it, it is, what you're saying is like, that's so beautiful, Nick. It's, it's a, this, what we're doing right now is so necessary, but it is so rare. Yeah. Uh, like, like I was saying earlier, like none of us agree perfectly with one another. Like we're going to have areas of disagreement and we could argue if we looked for areas of disagreement. Instead, we're looking for areas where we agree and building yeah. off. And it is, it's important to debate in a civil way. Like, like we're all adults here. We can disagree with each other and still be friends. Um, yeah. Like I'm sure there's plenty of things we disagree about, but I don't care. I still love you guys. Um, and that's, uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, it's why I, 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 you know, why I do this because yeah. people are not doing this enough. Um, and it's, it's one of the only, like, I'm getting emotional now, but, um, I have some radical ideas about what to do. Um, and I've been really near the edge where I've thought about doing things that I would have regretted. Um, but, and quite honestly, I'm still there. The only reason I haven't done those things is because I wouldn't get anywhere. Like realistically, this is all I can do. Um, so it means a lot to me that um, I have like-minded people that want to find solutions, you know? Yeah, I mean, the the solution is talking. It's yeah. finding common grounds. It's exactly what you said. The key to making this shit work, yeah. other than we're destroying the earth, it's like, that's inevitable now because we've already set that into motion. And it's like, unless we all just kill off, like, it's just, it's happening. Um the the way to make this world a better place is exactly what you said alex it's instead of finding out all of our differences finding let's find what we agree on and let's build from that instead of finding out what we don't agree on and being pissed off yeah oh yeah yeah i mean if, if you if you like 
if you're looking for it, you're going to find reasons to fight. But oh, yeah. if you're looking for it, you can find reasons to like, like anyone can be friends if they find a common footing, you know? So what is the way to affect a change um, as drastic as Ted Kaczynski's hopes for the future revolution as they were when he wrote them. What would be the pacifist way to accomplish that? Uh, I think it would be propagating ideas. Um, Maybe that was the whole time was to start making a scene by sending bombs so that he could get his message out there. And not to say that's the right way. I mean, and obviously... Killing it, I believe killing innocent people is wrong. If you're if you're taking an action, and innocent people are getting harmed because of that action that you have just that one has justified in their mind, um, whatever the reasons, it should end with hurting innocent people, which by his methods and his devices were necessarily going to happen. There was no way to only get a one targeted individual. He was like targeting departments. Yeah. Um, so I think that that is definitely something I can put in, in the box of things I think that Ted Kaczynski did wrong. He hurt innocent. Yeah. That is wrong. Um, yeah. <laughs> At the end of the day, innocent people dying, no matter what, like I don't even agree with Christianity killing people, man. Yeah. It's like, that was wrong. You shouldn't have done it. Like war is wrong, yep. no matter what it is. It's like, dude, we can find a civil way to get this fucking figured out. Like you're telling me, all these people can't figure this shit out. Seems like war has always been a way to get well resources. Mm-hmm. I would say money, but in pre monetary times when it was just about goods and resources or land. Uh, they would come up with a boogeyman like that the next village over or the next, you know, that tribe over there, they did such and such. They killed my goat. Ah, let's go get them. And then they yeah. take, then they go take their resources. Like it, anyone starting a war has to come up with some reason to think of the other side as less than human. And Ted Kaczynski did that. He thought of his victims as less than human. And that was wrong, too. I agree with you on that because that is not right because he and he knew who he was targeting to an extent. So he was looking at them as nothing but ploys to get his fucking his message across. And by doing that, he was dehumanizing them. And that's not right either. Yeah, he was he was playing judge, jury and executioner according to his own ideals and acting in in such a way, a violent way so as to execute. (laughs) Was he like that? This is the most non-anarchist thing he's done. (laughs) I mean, if you really think about it, like judge, jury, and executioner was a great terminology, but that right there goes against everything in anarchism. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean... (laughs) It's, it's such a finicky thing. It's like, dude, he's saying one thing and his actions are pointing towards another. And it's like, but again, when you have a belief, like we were just saying, 
sometimes you're driven by something a little bit more than just logic at that point. Like his belief and his determination might have fogged his complete, like what he was thinking was a complete fresh mind was fogged by like getting this accomplished for his likings. For as much as he dogged on leftists for being products of their environment, he was a product of his environment to his to detriment. And, and, yeah. and uh, he, I, I feel like Ted Kaczynski was somebody with a unique, somewhat uh, definitely a unique set of experiences. And anarchist ideals existed before Ted Kaczynski was even alive. Um, like Kropotkin, I think is, and so like, yeah, I, I've not very familiar, but I know what you're talking about. Um, so I, I feel like the parts of me that agree with Ted Kaczynski are the parts that agree with the people who came before Ted Kaczynski. Yeah. Much like, and you mentioned Christianity. I feel like the parts of Christianity that I agree with are the parts that Christianity ripped off from Eastern philosophy. <laughs> yeah, that that took from uh, uh, paganism and all of that. It's like, well, yeah, yeah there you go. You're, you I got agree this. With those parts. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, wait a second. Let's go a little deeper. Yeah, I agree with you. I'd like, and that's and it's also like the little fifteen year old punking you that like has a mod off cocktail in your hands. Like I'm throwing this through a building right now. Taking you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you know you're making a horrible decision, but fuck it. There's a kid who it's... did that during the uh the riots here in 2020 in Nashville, threw a Molotov at uh one of one of the government buildings. And it was a group of them that did it, but that kid is rotting in jail alone because he ain't no fucking rat. <laughs> That fucking sucks, dude. Yeah. Know all your homies ratted you out, dude? I'd be pissed. I like, mean, they, hey, there's your next tag, Kaczynski. He's coming out and he's killing a couple of folks, I'm <laughs> sure of it. I thought that the one who threw the Molotov cocktail was not part of the movement. Oh, well, maybe not, but he definitely had friends. And okay. my point is, he went down That's... on those. He didn't say shit about anybody. Um, I don't know if they ratted him. But he definitely didn't rat them. Um, That's a good friend. Thing, uh, I, th I think what's so irritating about that is uh, the Crusades are very anti-Christian. It's the problem I have with Christianity is y'all don't know what the fuck you're talking about. It's like, oh, yeah. the least Christian people I know are Christians. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Like uh, I saw I saw a meme with um, oh, I forget. I forget the meme format. There's an the, anyway, but it was basically to the point of like um, how Jesus of Nazareth is recorded as having said it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Yeah, and then the sec the second frame is a sympathizer, a capitalist sympathizer, saying, "No, Jesus was just saying it was going to be kind of a little bit harder for them. He would love cap. Jesus would love capitalism. It's like <laughs> he made the hyperbolic statement that it would basically be impossible for somebody who 
was rich or had acquired more resources than they needed. That's what they meant. What he meant by very rich um, to, to yeah. reach that state of enlightenment. So, right. yeah, I, I agree with that part and not, not this modern. Uh, <laughs> yeah. This, this modern, I forget what the word is of it, but the, um, this, this fixation of that, like somehow capitalism and Christian and, jesus of nazareth teachings if he even existed for the for that matter um are somehow harmonious and they're not yeah yeah like where does god and money come together it's like what what the fuck does that mean I, the, oh oh wait a second you want to build a new church now i understand <laughs> yes yeah. this and, is what i was saying about leftism and also rightism is uh like money is a god it's not in the clouds but we worship it mm. same way that people worship government on both sides of the aisle they're, they're fucking in love with it it's like my party did this and i'm on board with it it doesn't matter what they do i am i identify as democrat i identify as republican and it's like no you're a human being who's been hijacked you're not a christian you're not a Muslim. You're not a Democrat. You're not a Republican. You're a human being. And it, they're all religions. They're all religions. Money is a religion. Capitalism. Oh, yeah. You're putting well, that's... ism in it. You're making it the ideal that you look up to. And that's the, the problem is in capital. If, if, you, if I have apples and you have potatoes and we want to trade, that's fine. But when we make it like, I want to have as many apples as possible, even if other people starve, mm -hmm. that's your, that's your God now. Yeah. I think it was, uh, I think it was Hunter S. Thompson actually that said it. And it's like so randomly true. He said, no matter which direction you go, if you go all the way left, it eventually turns right. And if you go all the way right, it eventually turns left. He's like, yeah. He okay. goes. I, I want to see the crossover point, though. I want to see what it looks like where your, like I mentioned, your Rush Limbaugh uh, fans, for example, yeah. far right. At what point? Where did they, they meet? Yeah. At, at what point does Rush Limbaugh become openly queer? Like, yeah. That, at what point that? Wait, I want to see that mechanism. Yeah, actually, exactly. Because when that happens, it's going to be amazing. Because then you're going to have a Rush Limbaugh, J. Edgar Hoover fucking mix. And maybe a little bit of Patsy Cline. <laughs> Holy. Holy shit. <laughs> um, I'm having so much fun. We've been going for like two and a half hours, though. So I guess before we wrap this up... Um, well, first of all, anything Triangle Fire related you want to plug, Nick, for anyone watching? Any um, let's see. Yeah, um, in Atlanta in like two weeks, two and a half weeks, 40 Fest is going on. It's the four-day Atlanta Punk Festival. We got some Murfreesboro bands coming down, some Nashville bands, a lot of Atlanta bands, people from... Um, I mean, all over the place. It's going to be a fun time in Atlanta. So if anybody wants to come down and hang out, come and see us. Fuck yeah. Uh, 
Let's see if they check out Triangle Fire. They're um, very near and dear to my heart. Uh, they're crusty, hardcore punk. They, they can tell your grandparents, but they go so fucking hard. Uh, like, <laughs> you guys, you guys are ridiculous. You put on the thank you. Stuff, for real. Well, um, thank you. We aim to please that, like, <laughs> we, we put very little thought into our, our physical well being, but, you know, <laughs> it ends up doing okay. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, so um, any closing remarks uh, before we uh, wrap this up? I just want to plug the the show, the New Year's Eve show. Oh, yeah. Springwater. Yeah. Lance is going to be playing with um, Kiever and Devin at uh, New Year yeah. here in Springwater. Uh, I mean, it, it, the Springwater Supper and Lounge Club here in Nashville um, on New Year's, hosted by uh, the producer of this show, Neef. Um, and there's going to be some other awesome acts there. Uh, Sydney Mays is going to be jamming out, um, also Booty Gum, and um, there is a Psycho Billy band playing that I can't remember their name right now. But uh, yeah, it's going to be lit. That sounds fun as crap. Yeah, it's going to be fucking awesome. Uh, yeah, if you're watching this, come to New Year, come to Springwater on New Year's Eve. It's, it's it's Psycho Otis and his Road Killers. Thank you, thank you. That's an awesome band name for a Psycho Billy band, too. Yeah, it's gonna be fucking nuts. Like Booty Gum is a rapper, um, self-proclaimed best ass-eating rapper of all time. Uh, so we got we got him, and we got this fucking wild Psycho Billy band, and then we have this jam, like this this fucking acid jazz jam that's gonna happen. So. I'm okay, great. I need videos of this this rapper. I mean, <laughs> self-proclaimed best ass-eating rapper. I'm down. Dude, you got me. Which, 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 when you're among kings like that, I mean, I feel like rap ass-eating is pretty ubiquitous with rapping right now. The culture, every yeah. other rap song I listen to, it talks about eating ass. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, it's a stature thing. They're still working their way up. This guy has already reached his mecca. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, you're, you make a good point. It all leads to eating ass. So, like, yeah. He's, he's Thank a... you, insane clown posse. <laughs> oh, yeah. Also, next month for the book club, we're reading Perfume, The Story of a Murderer. This is a 1985 German novel by Patrick Suskind, recommended by my friend Derek Jones. So if you guys have the time and energy, I'd love to have you guys for this too. Uh, we're going to have some other people there for that as well. But um, yeah, that's what we're doing next in the next month. Um, okay. I'm excited about this. This is the only like crime mystery we've done on the show. Everything's been fantasy or nonfiction. Uh, but um, I'm, I'm excited to do this. This will be a change of pace. I like I like doing stuff I normally wouldn't read. That's why I don't do a lot of I don't read a lot of books on the book club that I recommend. It's usually stuff other people recommend because other like if it were up to me, we'd read fantasy novels every week or every month. So like this is a good getting out of my wheelhouse. So I mean I'm yeah. definitely excited about this. Oh yeah. Perfume is what it's called? Yeah, Perfume, the Story of a Murderer. Okay, I'm going to write that down. 
Fuck yeah, dude. Yeah. If you got no pressure, but if you got time and energy, I'd obviously love you're always welcome here. Uh, Hell yeah. All right. Uh, Lance, Nick, thank you guys again for joining us. And 